Welcome back to the Roster Watch Podcast. This is Alex Dunlap. This week, I bring you my conversation with Matt Waldman. Matt Waldman is a football evaluator, a fantasy football analyst, and an entrepreneur. He's the creator and the curator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which is one of the preeminent resources industry-wide for fantasy-centric analysis of each year's incoming rookie class at the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end positions. As you'll see, he's as meticulous in his evaluations as they come, and he's entering his 13th year producing this wildly popular publication. We talk about his process for scouting players, how he handles the seasonal nature of his income, uh, which wide receiver stood out to him at the 2019 Senior Bowl, and numerous other 2019 NFL draft topics, such as the polarizing nature of Georgia wide receiver Riley Ridley and his evaluation, how Stanford wide receiver J.J. Arcega-Whiteside wins, the relative weakness of the running back class in 2019, and so much more. You can find Matt on Twitter, at Matt Waldman. You can purchase the Rookie Scouting Portfolio and keep up with all Matt is up to at mattwaldmanrsp.com. And you can find his terrific YouTube breakdowns on the RSP Film Room channel. If you're enjoying the Roster Watch podcast, please take 10 seconds to scroll down in your podcast player and give us a five-star rating, maybe even a review. It makes a big difference. If you have a question you'd like to have answered on the Roster Watch podcast in upcoming episodes, if you leave the question there in the reviews on Apple Podcasts, that's a guarantee that you will get your question answered on the pod. So give us a five-star rating and a review if you can. And if you really want to support the podcast and you really want to support everything we do at Roster Watch, if you want access to multiple bonus podcasts per week featuring me, Byron Lambert, sometimes the trash man when he brings his smelly ass around here, you can with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. And please remember, it's entirely due to the support of our pro members and listeners like you that this is all possible and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to my conversation with Matt Waldman. This is Penny Hart, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and I am here this week with another very special guest, a guy who I've been wanting to get on the pod for quite some time. He's been on the SiriusXM radio show. You know him very well from his work at Football Guys. We talked about uh, the rookie scouting portfolio in the open and the ways that you can order that. Uh, what his, his name is Matt Waldman from Football Guys, the rookie scouting portfolio. Matt, what the hell's going on, brother? Alex, it's always great to talk with you. It was nice to see your face when we were uh, in Mobile. I know we didn't get to to hang out too much, but you know it's always good catching up with you. And I'm excited to get a chance to chat about some of these prospects. Well, you know, we get out we get out there to Mobile, and it's just such a like you're always telling people you're like, hey man, we'll see you in Mobile. Let's catch up. Let's have a beer. (laughs) 
by the time you get there, you're working so damn hard, and like it's like there's really you know there, there's not really much time once you once you get out there and realize all the stuff you have to do, especially if you're going to be trying to crank out any content. Yeah, absolutely. It's a total grind. I mean, people take a look at it, and there are some people who are there just to network, and that's fine. And you want to do a little bit of catching up and getting a chance to say hello to everybody that that you hang out with or do some work with. But you know, after practice, it's kind of like, all right, I've got some reports I need to write, update from my site. But then I have to watch some film too, because even though I took all these notes of these players, you know, let's go to the film room at the hotel and and you know study this because you're going to see a lot more watching that later. And next thing you know, you're up all night and it's like 6 a.m. and yeah. practices in like four hours you know four or five hours you got to get some sleep a little bit and you know I did all that and I came home and I've been living in a hotel for two and a half months um, because we sold our house and we're moving into another one and literally the day I came back I took you know I took the MARTA train in Atlanta up to where I, my stop was took an Uber to my new house. Yeah, and Matt, I, I think that probably a good thing for the context of the conversation, just before we even talk about any of these guys, let's talk about the rookie scouting portfolio. It seems like that's your labor of, uh, not even your labor of love, like your actual labor of life, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, right. that's your gig. Um, talk to the audience about it because so much of what we talk about is going to be kind of grounded in that. And I'd also kind of like to talk to you about your process, about getting that thing together. It's a massive undertaking, certainly in, in and, and awesome publication for anybody interested in dynasty fantasy football or just you know catching up on who these prospects are you've you've, you've put in the legwork just talk about what the rookie scouting portfolio is when did you start it how has it evolved and uh, I, i'd like to just ask a couple questions about your process as well oh yeah man i always love to be able to talk about that because the rookie scouting portfolio is my main gig and i started it in 2006 i was a former operations manager um working really just in call centers for about 15 years and and I was a part-time writer. I did a lot of freelance work um, that had nothing to do with football, wrote for magazines, wrote for companies, did, you know, ranging from a lot of things. So I was always a football fan, wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And I had developed this, um, actually I had learned this process on how to really measure um, performance in employees. That was basically a best practice process that I got certified in at this company that I worked in and thought, wow, this could really work well with actually evaluating football players, if I could convert a lot of this process, because the, the root of it is, is that as you, if you ask the right questions and you define what it is that you're looking for really well and very clearly, then it should build upon itself to where you start to continue to add to that process. You learn more about what you're trying to evaluate in addition to creating a better and better product of, of getting the insights you're looking for. So that's what I did to create the rookie scouting portfolio. So I created a database that had all that information, really spent the time to define information and continue to update it. And I started it in 2006 and I've been doing it since then, you know, and it's become a product that, you know, the media gets, that I've had people in the scouting community get in terms of in the league, um, consultants. I know that there are a couple of GMs who get it on a regular, on a regular basis just as a, an interesting cross-checking mechanism for them. I've had some people give me feedback who are former players and consultants and things like that who, who like the work. And it's just focused on, you know, four positions, you know, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. I've studied, you know, other positions as well, but those are the main ones that I focus on 
for the publication. And it's a PDF document that, that comes out every April 1st. Usually it's about 300 pages that most people are going to look at that's easily bookmarked that gives you, you know, like the overrated, underrated rankings that are in, you know, a lot of detail about those players. It shows everything that I define. It really takes you through the evaluation process in an entertaining way and an easy to digest manner. But then I also show you all my work on top of that. So if you want to see how I arrived at my scoring, how that scoring works, how everything's defined, then there's usually another, oh, I don't know, eight to a thousand pages of that um, that you can take a look at as well. How many people want that? How how many people say, I want that, Matt? I want you to send it to me. I'll say this. I'll say this. Most people, (laughs) I assume most people only want the small stuff. Like, just give me the answers and and entertaining reading material. But every time I get on a podcast, it seems like five out of ten people are like, oh, yeah, I read the comments. I read all the little details of that. I really love all this stuff. So it's more than I ever expected, which might be, you know, like 30 people. But, you know, but seriously, it's more than I expect in that regard. And I think I only did that. Because when I started in 2006, you know, I wasn't a former scout, wasn't a former football player. So it was important that what I banked on was my process because I knew process better than those people. I understand how to create that. Well, uh, but like, what did you do? Like, what, what was your job where you learned about these like benchmark, like these benchmarking kind of philosophies and, and things like that? Like, what was it that you were doing? Yeah, it's rather boring, to be honest. And it's kind of funny when you look back on it, because I was a I was an operations manager at a call center back in the 1990s when, you know, companies like AOL were just getting on the line online and people weren't able to get online because, you know, they were using modems and it was, you know, they they didn't have the infrastructure in line to get to get all those people in that they were Hmm. attracting. So we were trying to retain their customers and we were an outside group um, that was, you know, a third party and they would hire us to help out with their in-house group. Well, their in-house group had, you know, like 120 hours worth of training before they ever even got on the phone to try and convince these people to stay and offer them some incentive. And we kind of came up with offering them the incentives that they had, you know, here we'll give you a free month to try it again. Here's how you do some of the things that you had problems with, stay with us and just, you know, and ride this out a little bit. And so we taught them kind of the, the sales marketing angle on how to do that. But you know, we were being paid as a third-party provider. So, you know, we only, you know, the staff that I had only got paid for about 15 hours worth of training before they got on the phone versus 120. So I had to come up with a lot of processes to, you know, hire, to recruit, hire, train, and continually develop these people in my management staff of, you know, about 2,100 to 2,500 labor hours a week of a a facility that worked from about 7 a.m. till 2 a.m. every day. And so, you know, when you're keeping up with all those different things and personnel issues. And, you know, there's a lot of that's very similar to football team, you know, but, but in the end of the day, you know, I learned some, you know, as I had developed and become a manager and then a director and started working with other branches in our company. And because of the performance was good, you know, I, I started, we started to seek into development into, you know, certified processes that when you're attracting clients, they like to see that we, you know, you, we learn the best, you know, the best of the best types of things. So I had gotten certified in that particular process, which was just really something designed for manufacturing and converted over to 
more human capital to, you know, just really working with people. And it's just about really that you want to define everything that you're, that you're asking people to do, and you want to define it in a way that's simple and a yes or no. Did they do it or did they not do it? And if you can't pinpoint those particular criteria points in a yes or a no answer, then you need to redefine what you're looking at. So, like, if, at first, when I started doing this, you know, I might have been talking about vision for a running back, and I realized that vision, after I started watching tons of, of running backs, you know, over the first couple of years, that vision was just a catch-all term for about seven to ten different things that go into what we call vision when we talk about it as fans. You know, so I started working on how to redefine that. Then you start, you know, reading more. You consult with other people, and you figure out ways to redefine that and then give point values to it that are appropriate and to, you know, figure out about, you know, a good grading scale of where that, you know, vision is important in context to, say, you know, blocking for a running back. And you and you just kind of work on it from there. So I've been doing this for, you know, 14 years and, you know, continually redefine this process to the point where it's become, you know, something of, of value to my readers. So it's basically what, what, it, what I'm getting from that is it's like it's a process that you've set up based on your your experience dealing with large organizations and processes that you've had to optimize by getting binary yes-no answers about these things and having to break down something that's a little bit nebulous, such as vision, and say, all right, well, we have to say, what is, is, is that, is that how, you know, yeah. how, like how his feet are behind the line of scrimmage, his, his initial cut, then his shed ability through the line of scrimmage when he gets to that hole or that zone lane, and then his separation ability from and from 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 the second to the third level and it's like all those things it seems like are kind of vision right open field vision versus vision behind the line of scrimmage versus you know vision through the cut that's pretty interesting like like you said like out of curiosity i mean do you do you know just vision what what kind of what kind of aspects that we're talking about there just i don't mean to get completely in the weeds but i find it very interesting well, I'm glad. I mean, you know, for me, I mean, I look at vision in a number of ways, and, and yeah, it is. It's like you want to have a yes-no answer, and then you want to assign a point value to it. And you want it very clear because you want to be able to use that information as data. And so if you're not, if you don't have a clear definition for what it is as a yes or no, then you're never going to be able to use it as a data point to be able to say, I've watched 254 running backs over a five-year span. Right. And, any, and when these guys, these guys who got drafted – they all could do this. These guys who didn't become starters, they, you know, they answered no to that. You know, like I'm working towards being able to provide that kind of data from something that's, you know, taking a subjective look at things and trying to view it through a more objectified process. So for vision, yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at vision for running backs, it, you know, for me, it starts with things like decision making in addition to just the the eyes and the and the footwork. So I look at good decisions. That comes, you know, I define those types of things as and I don't have the you know, right, I'm not reading right. it from writing, but it's things like down and distance situations. You know, if it's a third and two, you you and you're backed up inside your own 20, you're not going to be as it's it's not as good of a d- idea for you to try and bounce a run outside or try to do that when you only need two yards or you need to keep your team on schedule on a third and two or a second and four and, you know, trying to hit the home run play and and risk losing yards. Are you judicious about running inside versus outside based on the blocking scheme? 
Um, you know, do you show patience with the particular blocking scheme? You know, there, you know, we could talk about inside zone or outside zone or, uh, you know, gap plays and each of the, you know, gap and zone have different ways in which you approach the, the decision-making process based on, based on that scheme, you know, with a gap scheme, sure. you're trying to hit that crease as hard as you can quickly and have a, and you're really not trying to look for a bounce out or cutback except in rare situations. Whereas a zone, you're slow to the crease and fast through it. And you're trying to set that up. So the decision making's involved with that. The, ju- the judgment inside and outside is a part of that. The patience level is a part of that. Are you reading the physical reading of things? Are you seeing, you've seen how defenders are shedding blocks and it, effectively anticipating and reacting to that, you know, based on what you see at the snap to the point of the, of the exchange. And then, you know, what kind of footwork you're using in response to that is, you know, it's all about like, it's almost like, like playing music, like you hear something and then you, and then you perform over what you're hearing and it needs to match what you hear um, otherwise, it's not going to sound good. Well, with a running back, it's kind of similar thing. What you see and the footwork that you execute based on what you're processing, if it doesn't match, it's not going to look good and it's not going to be a good outcome. And then there's the open field, you know, open field vision in terms of your ability to create um, and make people miss and set up angles. And, and really, so to me, it's about seeing or reading like the, the, the diagnostic aspect of kind of anticipating and reading what you, what's going on, um, the processing part about understanding the context of what you're working in, you know, the limits of your blocking scheme of what's going on in front of you and what your footwork options are, as well as the down and distance, and then the actual execution of being able to make that happen based on what's going on. And so, and so when we talk about it, like, do you have, do you have a, a log of, of all these players dating back to 2006 to where you could look back and you can say, you know, this guy is definitively, I mean, could you definitively, if, if you had time, go back and say, this guy has the best vision of the whole rookie scouting portfolio era. You know, it's funny. I think in a way, if I fudged it a little bit, I could say yes. Um, but the, the thing with defining and redefining your process is that when I first started, you know, what I had for vision was different than what I do now as I've gotten better at every doing year it. gets tweaked. It gets tweaked. A yeah. Bit. Okay. So, so yeah, like now I try and do it every three to four years, but I'm at a point where I think within the next five to six years, I'll probably be at a spot where I won't have to do as much tweaking. Like in the first three to five years, it seemed like every year I was tweaking a lot. And then the past five to seven years has been more every two to three years I've tweaked something. But I could say pretty clearly for the past five to seven years, I can look back and say, yeah, this is the guy with the best vision. These are the guys, you know, these are the guys with the most mature. And like I would answer, I could answer right away and tell you that, you know, that Ezekiel Elliott and Nick Chubb to me were probably the two top guys in terms of vision that I've scored. And, and you, and you certainly come out looking like a genius about that, because if you just watch them, if you just watch those guys (laughs) during their career, it's like they, they do look like the epitome of, of, of what you want as far as vision from, 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 from a runner. Before we get to any of the prospects in this class, I just kind of want to talk more about your process for actually making the RSP because it it seems, I mean, that's your main gig um 
And I mean, come if you know, you and I are both kind of, you know, we're business people in this space. We're entrepreneurs. And uh, how do you deal with the seasonal nature of, of this? I mean, is, is the RSP something where it's like you get that big, you get that big shot in the arm of income there during the one part of the years, the draft season, then for the rest of the year, you know, you're working with football guys doing all that stuff. Right. But are you starting to get, when do you start with the new, RSP stuff because you do have the updates to each each year that you'll give through the year to the previous RSP. But when do you start with the new players in the new class? Yeah, it's fun having you ask these questions because you know you have the same point of view as I do about this stuff. So it's you know I used to, when I first started doing this, I had three gigs at one time. So I just you know the thing that I sacrificed a lot of was sleep. Um, <laughs> right. So you know and and at that. Now I'm at the point where it's really two and it is seasonal, but it, there's overlap, which is nice because I, I start the, the next year's RSP pretty much two to three weeks after the NFL draft. I'll take a couple wow. weeks off, might play, you know, my daughter's, you know, my daughter's about to become a Marine, actually. She's about to go to Whoa. Paris Island in, in, in March. So she's 26, decided that she wanted to do that. So good for her, but she's, yeah. She she's left her video ga- you know she left her video games when she left high school so you know occasionally I'll catch up on some video games for a couple of weeks and not do anything related to football but then I get started you know usually in in May and I'm just watching tape every day and usually there's overlap of players who didn't come out for the draft the previous year so I have a bank of players who I watched who just didn't qualify for the RSP the previous year and I just do that you know, I probably watch, you know, I probably watch a player every day um, throughout the year, um, if not more than that, um, more players than that. And, you know, as I'm doing fantasy football, there's overlap with that. And I study a lot of the NFL game. That's a big, important part to me about what I do with this process is that the NFL game really frames the process that I create for looking at college players, because I want to study players against the NFL template and what the NFL would expectation is for athletic ability, decision making, technique, um, you know, the rules even, and and show that this is, you know, that this is them matching against that template, so that I can project a little bit better. Um, and so there's, you know, there's that. So I'm doing it throughout the year um, now. In terms of, you know, from a business standpoint, yeah, I'd say a majority of the people are buying the RSP during, you know, during April, when it comes out April 1st. And then the week after the draft, when I do the post-draft update, that's for a lot of fantasy oriented type of stuff. But what's funny is that over the years, I have just great readers. Like if I, I am unbelievably blessed with the readers who subscribe to this because they're raving fans. Once I get people who get it, they generally, they're like, even more shocked because, you know, everyone hypes up what they do. Sure. And, uh, you know, the, I come onto a podcast like yours and you're going to hype up what I do. And I'm much appreciative of that. Um, but I, I, I can say without any reservation that this is by far the best thing that I do in the space. And it's, and people, when they get it, they're like, I was expecting good things, but I had no earthly idea. And that's usually what I get. And I just say, go to Twitter and ask around and people will tell you. So what's happened as a result of that is people go, Matt, we want to give you some prepay money because we know that you're working your ass off. So can we pre-order the RSP? I'm like, well, you're not getting anything 
before April. And they're like, yeah, we know. We just want to give you some money beforehand because it'll carry you over through what you're doing. We figure you're trying to grow a business here. You know? And this was like you know, seven years ago around that time mm-hmm. when they did that. And so I'm like, sure. So I it, get was, it, was, it was like Patreon before Patreon existed. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> crazy. Exactly. So I'm like, I'll give you a discount. So I give people a 10% discount. It allows newbies to give it a, you know, that gives a little more incentive to give it a shot. Um, you know, and then, you know, and then when fantasy season hits, you know, around August when everybody has their drafts, I get a little bump then too, um, because of the fact that what, what makes the RSP kind of unique is that it's, I, I kind of talk about it, how it's kind of draft Nick player, um, you know, it's kind of like NFL approved, but it's fantasy focused to a certain extent. So the the fantasy people know me from football guys and they understand that I'm going to see things from a fantasy lens, but they're getting the real goods when it comes to actually breaking down players and that they know that there's guys who've been in the scouting community and who are football recruiters and, and position coaches and players and different things who are like, this guy has worked his, his himself into a position to where he understands these positions well, and we endorse that. And I think that that gives me a uh, that gives me a little bit more play throughout the year in terms of people being interested because it has the fantasy angle and the draft pick angle, and I'm really fortunate for that. Yeah, and I, I think it also probably I would imagine that you probably get some bumps like in in, in June and July when we start getting into really heavy into dynasty rookie drafts. Right. I mean, people oh, yeah. at, at that time of year, people, you know, especially in the deeper leagues, people really need a resource like 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 the RSP. Yeah, it's totally that. And it's one of those deals where um, I, it's I've had people joke that and they're not they're half joking, I guess, is that sometimes because of my takes are, di- you know, everyone has different takes that when some of my outlier takes will oftentimes change like. ADP in serious leagues where, you know, people are on certain sites and those certain sites have a high um, concentration of RSP subscribers. And and you'll see average draft position kind of rise or lower after my book comes out. So it's kind of interesting how that happens. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's wild. Like they tell us on the serious show, like they'll have callers call in and say, quit, quit, quit talking about this guy. You're going to, you're going to bump up his ownership percentage. And I just like, I, it, it, it's, it's hard for, it's hard for me to believe that we could be in this spot to have that kind of influence, but you certainly do, man. Like, and um, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a it's a great publication. I can't recommend it enough. Again, uh, you know, we we said in the open where you can find it. You can also look in the show notes for all the all the um, all the links to everything Matt does. And you know, go there, get the RSP, get in it for for, for pre order. Show show a little love from from Roster Watch Nation to our boy Matt Waldman. Uh, Matt, Appreciate that, Matt. Let's talk about uh, the Senior Bowl. What do you think? I mean, are you like just cranking? Like I'm sure that these live evaluations from there in Mobile, how much how much stock do you like? Let's say Debo Samuel, right? Versus what you'd seen of him before, versus what you saw of him during the practices in Mobile. How much did that change what you're going to be talking about regarding him and his attributes and his skill set in the RSP? That's a great question and a, a great example of a player because oftentimes there are players where. It may change marginally at best, um, but when you look at Debo Samuel and how he was 
used at South Carolina. A lot of the tape that I've seen thus far was more of him running slants, more of him having certain types of footwork combinations. You knew that he could win the ball in the air. You knew that he could run after the catch, that he could be a special teams player in addition to what he does as a receiver. But how good were his releases? How good are his routes um, in ways beyond what South Carolina asked him to do? And I felt like the senior bowl showcased more of his game in ways that we didn't often see on game day with the game Cox. Um, and that to me bumped him up a, a little bit more. And when you start to get into players who are highly ranked and um, in your process and scored, usually uh, the smaller there's a small margin of difference between the top players than there is between the top players and the bottom players. So, you know, every little thing can really help a player standing in terms of how you value him. And now for a lot of NFL teams, you know, obviously they may, they may have, they may have only eight players on their board for the entire year. Whereas I'm looking at, you know, 75, 80 receivers and trying to rank them. And they have specific criteria that they're looking at. That's looking at, we're only looking at Z's this year and we're only going to be looking at guys at this height and weight and who've done this type of stuff. But for me, you know, for us, it's all wide open. So for Samuel, this helped him, the releases, the footwork, the ability to show the breaks that he can make coming back to the quarterback, um, being able to work off a tight coverage and not just run slant routes or fade routes um, or crossing routes, more of the, the perimeter type of routes really helped him out in my eyes. Yeah, and also just the, the way that he just sat some of those corners down and called them son, dude. Like it was <laughs> – yeah, I mean they, they, there's some pretty good corners out there, Some maybe some not so good ones. But I thought that – I just thought his hands looked so much bigger than they looked on film when you see him live. You know, I think this is important. To, a lot of people, you know, you put too much into these uh, senior boys practices these all-star game practices sometimes but when you just see a guy like that and you see the hamburger helper hands i think they were 10 and an eighth inch 10 and three eighths inch something like that it they, they they were bigger stickier hands than i thought they were and you know we we knew that he was good in those contested spots but like you said to the perimeter when he's got one of these corners in his hip pocket the way that he could separate just seeing it live it was there was there was something about it that really made me a little bit more impressed with that guy than I was just simply watching watching his 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 film alone. Was 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 he the 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 standout wide receiver for you at the Senior Bowl, or was there like were there if he was were there others, or were there somebody that stand out more than him as far as you were concerned? I think he stood out the most, but guys who also stood out to me um, included for different reasons and maybe not as much, but you know, Terry McLaurin looked good. It was nice oh, to yeah. see him yeah. as a, you know, he was able to separate pretty easily just with his speed alone. But then you also saw him, you know, run some routes that he wasn't going to be targeted at with Dwayne Haskins at Ohio state and their system as much. And you could see that he could, you know, execute clean breaks and sharp breaks and be able to work with people on that level. I really liked what Penny Hart did, the Georgia state wide receiver. I watched him coming into the year um, or coming into the senior bowl. And it was when he was a freshman and a sophomore. And at that time he had a different quarterback who was a little bit more of a pocket guy who threw in rhythm and I really liked what I saw from him, but the past season he had a quarterback who was more apt he had a, to break he had the a pocket dip, and run. He had a dip in his production in his last year in college, I noticed. 
he did. And it was due to, I think, that his quarterback, Ellington, is more of a, a guy that would break the qu- pocket quick and try and use his legs. But when you watched him at the Senior Bowl, one of the things that really stood out is that while everyone was really fawning over Andy Isabella, who deserves a lot of that love, um, I thought Penny Hart showed just as much suddenness and he was more aggressive into his routes. He was more efficient and linear with his routes in a way that he wasn't dancing as much. You know, you watch Braxton Miller at the Senior Bowl, and he danced a he, he danced yeah. a ton and got a lot of love. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and now he's trying out for a dance troupe somewhere other than playing. You know, playing in the league. Um, but well, and it's, it's just mad. It's just about putting it in context, like you said. I mean, it's about you know you have to put these things in context. And the way Braxton Miller got open, he got open after five seconds of dancing, and the, the quarterback aren't going to have that time for him to get open when they're not just throwing against air. No, you know, no, not just, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. So, and, I, and 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 Isabella was better than Miller that way. Sure, I mean, sure, he certainly yeah. was more efficient. But but it was like, you know, for me, you know, Braxton. You know, for me, Andy Isabella was like some of his moves took a little long, and it reminded me of kind of like Andrew Hopkins or some guys like Chris Doring, I believe, out of Florida. And then when you take a look at. Um, Penny Hart, it was kind of like cornerbacks and, and safeties. When they saw him attack the way he did, that suddenness was kind of like, oh, shit, suddenness that they felt. You could see them react very quickly to it when they tried to get physical with him, unlike Isabella, who didn't seem to handle the physicality as well. Hart handled it very well, was able to redirect it in a way to get open. Um, I, I think he might be a little more than a slot receiver. He might actually have a little perimeter game to his um, to his potential, but it just depends on where he lands. So he impressed me. Um, I thought you know, in addition to Andy Isabella and McLaurin, they were both impressive. I thought that the, um, that the kid Keelan Doss showed that he belonged. I mean, he belonged in that group and, and a lot of small school receivers don't always show that. Um, and he did, he was able to hold his own physically. He was able to earn separation. He, He was able to fight for the ball. He wasn't always as, he wasn't as consistent or shined as bright as those other guys, but he's someone that certainly earns the attention to say, yeah, we need to study him further. He could make a team. Yeah, Keelan Doss, man. We we heard Daniel Jeremiah during the game when he watched the game. He compared him to a Keenan Allen. I kind of like that smooth, you know, smooth um, with the way that he can go up and, and grab the football, creating his separation. I thought he was a small bit lumbering at the top of his breaks. And I, but I, here's the thing: I know that that's something that he can work on. And when these guys get to Exos and they get with these trainers and stuff over the course of this time, I would be very interested to go inside Lucas Oil and watch him at the combine and see and see if he's improved in those ways. Because if he has, he's going to be a guy that we definitely need to keep an eye on. He's certainly going to get drafted. And it, when we're talking, it's 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 funny. Like my top five from the Senior Bowl was, I think, exactly the same as yours, except I had David Sills in there. What did you think of him, and what do you make out of the fact that his his hands were only eight and seven eighths inches? Yeah, I'm I'm not so worried about the hand size more than anything, as long as the technique is sound. Um, my biggest issue with Sills is the physicality factor. I just I have concerns. I think he's a good deep ball player, good intermediate route guy, who that when he can earn that separation, he's gonna be where he's supposed to be on time. He can make the play with his back to the quarterback and catch the ball with the tight coverage. So I think he's a graceful athlete who can do some nice work for you. But where I'm, where I start to look at him and say, have questions about his limitations are physicality off the line of scrimmage, being able to handle guys who try to reroute him, um, 
use of his hands, um, you know, away from the ball to be able to create that separation. Um, I felt like from watching his tape, in addition to seeing the senior bowl practices, I didn't see anything from the practices that altered my perception of what I saw on film in those areas. And one of the, the, the highlights, or I, I guess I'd call it a low light for him, but a challenging area for him is that, you know, every year, some team at whoever runs the senior bowl always has some exercise that they run where it's tight man on man coverage. And they have the guys press the defensive backs, press the receivers and the receivers have to win within a five yard width of, of field. And if they step outside either of the lines in that five yard space, they're basically out of the exercise. And, and so they ran that after watching these receivers work after a day of practice and said, we need to, we need to institute this exercise because um, these guys are doing a lot of dancing. So they, they put that in there and I thought the only two guys that really showed up, there were three guys that showed up and they didn't even, how would I best put it? They didn't even do great. They were barely passable in this area right now. And that was um, Brady, Tyree Brady, who I really like. That's another guy I'd add to my list who I like. Um, and he got and better then, through the week, which is always important. When guys, you know, when you notice things through the week and you say, man, that guy could, you know, he could have mossed on that football right there coming over the middle. And he just didn't do it on Tuesday. And whereas on Thursday, he was going up to get them and he was accepting coaching. And that's really important to watch in these all-star settings. So uh, yeah. I, that, that, that's something that I'll say about Tyree Brady for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I like what he could do over the middle. I like what his grace. He's a graceful player. He's a guy that drops some passes, but they tend to be difficult plays. They tend to be plays that he can make the spectacular, but sometimes he'll have issues, you know, against tight coverage as well. But, um, I like what he has. He, he did reasonably well. Anthony Johnson did reasonably well with it. And Debo Samuel started to catch on and do reasonably well with it. But the guy who struggled the most for me, or the two guys that struggled the most for me out of press when they were doing this exercise and just couldn't figure out a, a, a way to, to do it well. And they have to go back and work on their footwork and handwork were Hunter Renfro and Sills and Ren, Renfro. We're not expecting to be more than a slot receiver. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, whatever, you know, yeah. that's okay. We're not expecting him to be Adam Thielen. We're expecting right. him to be a, a, you know, a slot guy who's not going to get jammed very often, but Sills is a guy Sills, that's going to play on the outside. We're expecting him to be Adam Thielen, right? We're, like, yeah. That, that's what you're hopeful of, of, of his upside is, 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 is Adam Thielen for sure. So, that's something I will take into consideration. It's something that I didn't have in my notes, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm taking it down now. As you know, this whole thing through this evaluation process, is, it's a learning deal. So good, in, good info there. I, I, I want to ask you a couple, just a couple more wide receiver questions and then just a few running back questions. I'm, I'm, I'm very mindful of your time. and know we're already kind of running over. but um, No worries. I, I, I did some work today on the Stanford kid, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Have you done any work on him? Oh yeah. And I was watching him last night again. So I love him. I I love him. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good prospect. And you know, the thing you hear about him all the time is, especially if you're on social media, you know, there's a guy by the name of Brad Kelly who works for the draft network. Who's a high school wide receiver coach. And, you know, he was, he, I think he did an analysis analysis on him. I haven't looked at it yet. Um, but it's something where he talks about, he's more than a, um, you know, more than just a jump ball guy. And I absolutely agree because I was watching him, you know, in a couple of games, I probably watched six or eight games of his already. And he's a guy that can get, 
his body, he can drop his weight into breaks and make sudden stops. Yep. He's someone that has an array of separation moves, you know, with footwork and handwork. Even, he can even rip. with his stemming off the line of scrimmage too, man, those cover two releases, like he, he can, he, he can generate separation all over the football field from the, from the games that I've been able to, to, to review thus far. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the versatility is there. He's not just your kind of Vincent Jackson free access receiver who needs to be playing off facing off coverage all the time and only runs like really linear linear type of routes. This is a guy that can run a little bit more than that. So I understand some of the Mike Evans comps to a degree. Um, I understand that, you know, I'm not looking at him and I think he can be a complete route runner and he certainly catches the ball well and uses his body well. So I'm impressed with what I've seen from him and he has, he has potential to be a starter in the NFL. You talked, uh, we were talking off air before we came on, you were doing a little work on Riley Ridley. He's a very polarizing prospect. Every, Everybody from the uh, and it's funny because you're a fantasy guy too, so you have to deal with the analytics crowd a lot more than than uh, some of the guys on the pure scouting side. What do you make of his horrible production in college versus his clearly uh, very, very, very good attributes? Yeah, and I think you just have to kind of look at it for what it is and understand the fan the fantasy crowd, especially the crowd that focuses on analytics, they're looking for the easy answers. What they want is they're very conservative. They're looking at the, all right, what are, you know, what are the odds tell me? Is there an 80%, you know, these players in the history of what goes on here, 80% of the time players who don't have X, Y, and Z aren't going to be good. So that's, that's kind of the, give me the simple answer, spoon feed me answer, but it doesn't really always where it can fail sometimes is that they're, they, they're still working on figuring out a better job of how to find and spot the outliers because it's when you find and spot the outliers to some of these, you know, some of these rules, um, that you can really hit big, you know, you can't find wide receivers who are under six two. you know, if they're not six two two fourteen. that was a big thing that their analytics thing was about five to seven years ago. I remember that. And, team, yeah. Team, right. Ha- hashtag team, team, big wide receiver. Yeah. Mike Evans was going to be great. Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't going to be good. Well, they were both really good, yeah. you know, so things like that. And then at the same time, uh, it's the same thing, this production value, you know, the market share and the production share that they have. Listen, if you're going to play the odds, then yeah, Riley Ridley is probably not a guy you're going to look at. But if you're looking at, you know, to, to us, when we're looking at film, we're studying skill, technique, athletic ability, what they project to be able to be. And because there's a lot of variables on the whole, you know, production share side that aren't being accounted for. And, you know, they're going to say that, well, the, the amount of data that we have will somehow clean that up. But really they don't have – my argument is, is they usually don't have as much data or have statistically enough sound data as they want to um, imply that they do. Um, so, you know, when I look at it from this angle, Riley Ridley, he can run good routes. You still see him only run a lot of hitches or crossing routes or slants. So a lot of times they'll say, well, that's all I ever see him run. It's like, yeah, you have to dig deeper. And you, if you dig deeper, you see the route running ability. And honestly, if he can, 
you know, if, there are certain routes that if you can run that route well, and you can sink your hips oh, and you can burst out of it. It's just, the, I mean, it's very translatable, then, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's translatable to every other route. So if yeah. you can run the hitch the way he runs yeah. the hitch, yeah. you can pretty much run every route um, in, in that that's on the tree. And he does that very well. He's got good hands. He's, he's, he's a, he's a good player after the catch. Um, I think he hangs in the air pretty darn well in the isolated incidents where I've instance instances where I've seen him targeted on routes where he has to go up and win the ball. So I like what I see. I think he's, you know, right now as my rankings will continue to change as I, as I go through players, he's absolutely in the top 10, you know, probably in the top 10 to 15 receivers on my board right now. Um, which so means you don't have a, you don't have a crazy out there stance on him. I mean, I've heard the, nah. like, uh, we had John Ledyard from the draft network on here like a few weeks ago. And he's saying he has him top, you know, top five maybe even top three or four. And I'm just like, man, you're going to get a lot of shit from the analytics community for that. Cause they're going to, yeah, they're going to, sure. they're going to, they're, they're going to come after you. Twitter, tw- the Twitter streets, man, by the time the draft gets here, I mean, pe- people are just committing murder out there. So, yeah. But you know, that, that's part of the game with this, you know, it's funny. I mean, like I had somebody who, who I just want to, I, I get, I don't want to mention him by name because he's a good guy and he deserves a ton of credit for also being the type of man that people should be, which is when you call somebody out, over their take and you say something like, Hey, you know, I don't understand how you can have Nick Chubb rated so highly. Um, and you know, you must not know anything about football. And my response, you know, back in May or June was I'll watch the tape with you. If you'd like, we can look at, I'll point out what I see. Um, but this is what I think. No, I just don't think you know what you're doing. And I said, well, you know, that's how half of my readers thought, you know, over the first, you know, 10 years of my publication. And that's why they're still here because they first thought that and realized differently. It's nothing new. That's normal, you know, and that's what we go through with this. And yeah, later on, he was like, he actually publicly was like, I'm sorry, you know, that was, this was good stuff. And I didn't understand and I didn't see it. And I thought it was crazy, but it made sense and more power to him. But it's, this is normal. You know, you get on this side and it's just like every year I'm going to have someone say, you're an idiot, you know, and sometimes I am, sometimes I am, I miss stuff with that. And then sometimes they'll go, wow, I was wrong about that. You were right. And it's like, yeah, that's why, you know, it's just par for the course. So yeah, good luck to John with the, with the Ridley thing. You know, I think he's a good player. He reminds me of Robert Woods, kind of a young Robert Woods who can hang in the air a little bit more than Woods can. So I'm still trying to work on some comparisons for this guy. Yeah. I, 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 I've just thrown my hands up in the air and just I I I want to see him run routes at the, at the combine. I want to be up there. I want to be up there in the suite, just watching it and just see how he moves in real life. And we'll just we'll 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 see how I feel from there because I feel like completely flummoxed by the two different sides of my mind <laughs> <laughs> on him. Um, let, let, be, be, before I ask you just a couple quick running back questions, Matt, I, I I don't want you to give away all the goods or all the secret sauce, but is there a wide receiver who at this point you pretty much know is going to be in your top? three or four a guy who you yeah. just so who 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 is that guy hakeem butler out of iowa state uh, love it why uh, i <laughs> man listen 
let's just well we can talk about all the things about how he catches the ball well and, and tight coverage how he can break multiple tackles as a as a runner when he can transitions from receiver to runner to the fact that you know his height weight speed i think are all going to be good enough in terms of what he can do physically and technically but when you have a 65 225 pound receiver running whip routes mm-hmm. you know which are basically you know for those who may not may not be aware of that are you know guys who can basically they have to break inside and break back outside and there's a lot of weight drop that goes on with that um he's just the fact that he can beat some iowa corners doing that and force them to interfere with them that tells you all you need to know about the athletic ability applied to what they do as a route runner so he has some drops here and there but he's shaping up to be one of the highest graded receivers i've looked at in a lot of years wow okay so hakeem butler and it's so funny that they, 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 you mentioned those whip routes because they use that stuff down in the red zone with him all the time he's he, he's not just a post corner fade guy he, he he'll do those whip, he'll do he'll do those whip routes right at the front right at the you know right at the front of the end zone and, and then and then whip back over to the pylon like you said sink his hips and get back over there so he he can hurt you down there in the red zone in so many different ways and being down here in big 12 country i've certainly watched how hakeem butler can can uh, can get after these guys so that's a that's that's an interesting one and i think probably that's yeah let me ask you this so the running backs in this class to me the senior bowl always feels like a little bit of a litmus test for how the rest of the class is i didn't love in many of the running backs at this year's senior bowl i'm not sure it's going to be the best running back class compared to what we've had in these recent years since you do this on a scale that we can kind of compare back as you've started doing these running backs does it seem like a weaker class than usual to you Yes, it is um, on the whole, because last year was the best class I've seen ever, just ever. I mean, like guys, I like Barkley and right. Yeah, all of them. It was just yeah. ridiculous. I mean, there were there Chubb. were 12, to, yeah. Yeah, 12 to 15 guys that were that would have fit in my like top seven in terms of scoring for the year before. And the year before was a good class with Fournette and McCaffrey sure. and Camara and all those guys. And and so like, to me, it was the 2007, the 27, 2018 class, the 2007 class, the 2017 class in that order. This class is somewhere probably, you know, in just below that 2017 class, maybe, you know, kind of a little lower on that level. There are some guys that I'm really interested in and I think can be good players. Um, and there are some guys who certainly can be good starters in this league, but it's not that we don't have a guy here that we're going to look at and say, Oh, he's a once in a generation type of talent. I don't think we have that at this class. And we probably shouldn't have a once in a generation talent every class, right? Because then, no. <laughs> then they wouldn't be once in a generation; they'd be once in a class. But That's it, right. is there is there? So I'll 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 get you out of here on on this one. Um, as far as the running backs, just the one that you've kind of been most excited to see thus far, one that's sort of stuck out to you, one maybe you're excited to see how he tests, and one who you anticipate is probably going to be pretty high up in your rankings whenever the RSV officially drops. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and I, I'd say that of the guys that I that I like in this particular class, I mean, certainly I want to see how David Montgomery tests because he reminds me in a lot of ways of the way that Maurice Jones-Drew used to run the football. Um, just that ability to stop start, his cutting ability, his balance, 
his catching. He's he's a he has good vision. I think that he can get even a little bit better with his footwork when he's when he's actually a little bit more efficient when he's reading the line of scrimmage before he takes the exchange. If he can be a little more efficient with his steps there, I think you have somebody who could be the top back in this class. So I want to see what his you know athletic measurables are in terms of um, really the twenty shuttle and the three cone drill and see how, how quick and fast he really is. Um, a guy that I think will be among my top backs who not a lot of people are talking about, but I think is really polished. And I was wrong about Jamal Williams. Like I really liked Jamal Williams two years ago. I thought that yeah, he would be, I think a lot of us were a lot of us were. Yeah. I thought he was a pretty, I, I think he's a pretty good back and he can be obviously in the, in the right system, which is not the type of systems you see in the NFL nowadays. If you were going to give him the ball 20 times and let him average between 3.9 and 4.4 yards per carry and just kind of truck people and wear them out, he could be good in that system. I think if he were in Seattle right now, he would be, he would be a, a good back for them because sure. of what Seattle wants to do. Um, but he doesn't fit in what green Bay wants to do all the time. Um, and so there's a little bit of a power struggle with that, but a guy who reminds me of Williams, but I think has more juice than Williams and can be that kind of player um, and be a little bit more, make you miss and a little shiftier is kind of a blend of both Aaron Jones and Williams together. And what you get, if you combine them is Alexander Madison, of Boise state. I'm a real fan of what this guy can do. I think he's a very mature runner, excellent footwork. He's someone that doesn't shy away from contact, gets stronger as the game goes along. I think he's a, you know, a good receiver watching him in the snow against Fresno state, um, log the ball about 40 times. Um, I thought he did a, a fantastic job and I saw a lot of that. I love from him in earlier in the year. And then a guy who just keeps sticking out to me, who's much higher in my grading thus far than I ever anticipated. And I just asked his high school coach who happens to be a lot online online. Um, and is a great resource. If you want to learn more about football, go look up dub Maddox, D U B M O M A D D O X and his R four system. He's, he should be coaching college football somewhere, but I think Cord, I think coaches are afraid he'll, he'll take their job some point, <laughs> but um, ser- I mean, seriously, I've had quarterback coaches recommend this guy to me, but he coaches at Jenks high school. Um, I believe in Oklahoma uh-huh. and he had a, he had a running back who's about five, eight, 200 pounds by the name of Darwin Thompson out of Utah state and Darwin Thompson is, he said basically own still owns their power lifting record at height in the high school level. Um, you know, is unbelievably strong for his size. And you can see that with the lower body he has, but he kind of reminds me of players that you see in that kind of Duke Johnson, chase Edmonds, Austin Eckler type of guy who can, who, who can push a pile a little bit, who can work between the tackles with their quickness, really good hands, um, good in the screen game, also can be targeted a little bit in the intermediate range of the field, smart decision maker, and the balance and power that I saw, direct contact as well as just being able to push a pile is something that I, I – I may watch way more games than I, than I expected of him just because I want to absolutely confirm what I've seen against a variety of competition. Because if I'm seeing, if I continue seeing what I've seen thus far, 
I might have to look at him and say, maybe the comp for him is closer to Christian McCaffrey than it is to a guy like Duke Johnson. 